Good morning. Our scripture today will be Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is the word of the Lord. So as some of you may know, I've been in school for the past four years. And um, I was taking, it was one of my first classes that I was taking on Genesis. And the professor was challenging us a little bit, having us think through what it means to read Genesis from a, a positive light instead of a negative one. So instead of looking at it from the perspective of the fall, what would it look like for us to look at Genesis through the perspective of creation? And one of the classmates didn't like that at all. And so he wanted to test this professor and challenge him and started asking him all these questions just to make sure, you know, let's make sure this professor we're learning from isn't some, some crazy person, right? And, and he's, he's uh, actually a Christian. So he asked him questions about salvation, predestination, sin, substitutionary atonement. I had to practice that a little bit. And propitiation. So all these things that are that ends with shuns and are, are hard to understand. And the, and the professor did a great job of answering those questions. And he gave all these kosher answers. And, and, and he did a pretty good job, I thought. But at the same time, I was thinking, like, what, what is this guy doing? Why is he putting this prof on trial? Just because he was challenging our thinking and even challenging this person's thinking, I knew that he felt threatened. And he wanted to make sure that the professor was kosher, that he, he spoke the truth and believed in some, some you know, good doctrine, what it really means to be a Christian. And this is the kind of scene that we're seeing here with Jesus. Jesus has come into the space of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders and was challenging and teaching in ways that they weren't used to. They were being awed by the teachings of Jesus. So in the previous chapter, Matthew 21, we see that Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, and Matthew lists three parables uh, of Jesus that teaches and, and, you know, in some sense criticizes the Pharisees of, of what it meant to be the people of God. And in fact, in those parables, Jesus would say, uh, would challenge the Pharisees thinking of who was in and who was out. And they were the ones who thought they were in that Jesus was saying to them, well, maybe you're not actually in and you're out. And because of this criticism, the Pharisees and the religious leaders want to figure out a way to trap Jesus. They want Jesus to stop saying all these things and in maybe even put an end to what he was doing and what he was teaching. So after the three parables, we see three instances of the religious leaders trying to trap Jesus. The first one had to do with who they should pay tax to. 
Second had to do with marriage and what would happen after in, in the afterlife. And then the third one, which is our passage today, had to do with the law. And where Jesus landed on these three hot topics wouldn't just be a way of labeling Jesus as a liberal or a conservative, but they were divisive issues that could lead Jesus to jail and even to death. For instance, there was a man named Judas, not, not Judas, the one that betrayed Jesus, but another Judas who was an anti-taxer. He didn't like paying tax, and he had a group of people who were with him, and, and, and there was a revolt. And so the Romans had to squash, quash, not squash, maybe squash too, quash the movement by crucifying Jesus and his followers. So for where you landed on tax paying, you could end up dead. And in the same way that this topic about the law wasn't just a simple question about what the greatest law was, but it was, a, it was about a matter of life and death. In the Jewish culture, the law wasn't just about the 613 laws in the Torah, which are the first five books in, in the Bible, but the law was about what it meant to live. They had rules and directions about how the Jewish people were to live in every single aspect of their lives. And people spent their whole lives studying and learning about the law. And there were rabbis and other scholars who would comment and have their own schools of thought about the law. And the law wasn't just, like I said, a set of rules. It was everything to them. It was part of who they were as Jewish people. And the Talmud is a, is a book, is a good example of the centrality of the law in the Jewish people's lives. The Talmud is 38 volumes with over 10 million words written about the Torah, just the five, first five books of the Bible. So the Pharisees got, to, uh, Pharisees got together and started scheming. What can we get Jesus to say that would trap him? Something that we can arrest him for. And so, so they send a, an expert of the law, someone perhaps with a few, few PhDs in the law, to test him with this question. So Matthew twenty two thirty eight, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the 613 rules, all the commentaries, all the oral traditions, all of the Old Testament hang on these two commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That is, love God with every part of your whole being and to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love your neighbor. All of the writings and rules on how to live hang on these two commandments. It doesn't mean that the other commandments don't matter, but rather all of the law and the rules are to be interpreted and understood through the lens of these two commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. I don't know if you noticed on, on the um, communion table here, I have all of my commentaries on the Old Testament on this table. And these are just two books. Usually I have about two commentary books per book of the Bible. And these are just it from the Old Testament. And these are just the small amount of, of law and oral traditions around what it means to be a Christian. And we also obviously have the New Testament as well. 
And even all of these books and writings and everything that's in there, all these hang on the two commandments of love. And if there's ever been a time you don't understand a passage in the Bible, you're reading it, I don't really get what it's talking about. What we need to do is interpret those passages with these two commandments in mind. Love God and love others. That is the filter we need to use to interpret, interpret Scripture. When I was studying to become a pastor, one of the professors told me that, that there is no one that I would love more or hate more than my wife. And that phrase has stuck with me for the last 20 years of my marriage, and I have experienced it to be true. <laughs> there is no one I love more than my wife. But how could, how could, how could that be that the closest person in your life, the, per, the person you can, that, that knows everything about you and that you should know everything about, how can this closest person in your life be the person you love or hate more than anyone else in the world? It's because they just know how to push your buttons, don't they? They know what will set you off. They know just at the right time to make you even more angry than you were angry before. And they know how to hurt you. And loving someone is, is hard work. So hard. Right? So hard. And let me just say that I, I use... Uh, a lot sometimes, I guess just because I'm married, um, the marriage examples. But I also want to say to those who of us who are single, whether by choice or not, that you don't need to be married to be whole. You are not less than just because you're not married or in a relationship. Singleness is a valid and God-honoring way of living just as those who are married or are in relationships. And whether or not we're married or single, we are called to love God and love others. And our current series has been called The Kaleidoscope Community. And our life groups have been using the book called The Beautiful Community to further discuss this concept of, of diversity in unity. So how do we be people of diversity and unity? Simple. Love God and love your neighbor. And some of you might be thinking, again, love God and love your neighbor. Like, we've been talking about this stuff forever. Isn't there something more deeper? You know, I'm tired of this fluffy loving God and loving people stuff. Give me some, some hardcore doctrine, some deeper truth, something that I can chew on. And let me say, there is no deeper, no harder, nor heavier doctrine than the doctrine of love. Loving God and loving others is not just a nice thing to say or some, some impossible idea that we have in the clouds, but it's the foundational truth to who we are as Christians. And this is what we are to use to filter how we live our lives. Scott McKnight, in his book, Fellowship of Difference, talks about how we need to first define love. We can't look at the world or even to ourselves to define what love is, but rather we need to look to God, the author and the source of love. And this is how he defines love in his book. He says, love is a rugged commitment with, for, and unto God. 
Love is not just an emotional feeling you get for someone, even though emotions and feelings matter, and they're part of it. But love, according to the Bible, is a rugged commitment with, for, and unto God. He calls it a rugged commitment because it takes hard work and long abiding commitment to love someone. And we get this understanding from the way God loves us. God has never stopped loving us. He has committed from the beginning to love us and continues to be committed to us even when we are not. God has never stopped being with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us, the one whose presence is always with us. God has never stopped being for us. He advocates for us, sent his son to die for us and continue to be for us. God has never stopped calling us to himself, and that is his design for us, that as we commune with him, we become who God made us to be, to be his image bearers who love. So it's with these four ideas of love that I want us to reflect on as we consider what it means to be a kaleidoscope community. If we are going to be a community that wants to be a community that loves God and loves others, we need to consider what it means for us to be committed to God and to one another. This is why if you take a look at our discipleship model online, we have it online on our website, it mirrors this passage. With our hands, we love God and others, and with our two feet, we show God's care and share God's story. When we use the image as, the, as of the body, because these aren't just separate things that are in their silos. We, we do one and we don't care about the other, but it represents us as human beings. This is what we do together and what we're striving to be. So how can we be with one another? To me, this means we need to be in each other's lives. We can't start loving someone if we've never spent time with that person. It doesn't mean that we need to spend every single waking moment together. We don't have to go to every single event that happens at Spring Garden. But what it does mean is that we need your presence. If you're not here, we can't get to know you. And if you're not here, we can't start to love one another. So it means for us, for some of you, it just may mean like we want you to get involved, to show up. One of, the terms that we, one of the terms that we use for our volunteers is uh, availability. We say, you know, it's, it doesn't matter how much someone wants to volunteer or how amazing they are as people or their gifts. They may be the perfect person for that role, but if they can never be at that event or whatever the thing we're trying to have the person volunteer at, it kind of doesn't matter, right? You need to be available. And I know during the time of COVID, presence may look different than what it did before. And for those of you online, I know it's very different. And whether it's connecting with someone online or over a phone call, you know, those things that we, we use for everything but for a phone call, you know, we could actually call people and talk to them, right? There are many ways of, of, of us being with one another. And what does it mean for us to be for another? How can we advocate, advocate for each other and want the other to do better? Can we care for one another where we are for the other, even at the expense of ourselves? One example that I could think of is in music. 
I don't know about you, but today, for instance, was, was there a song or two that you were like, yeah, you know, that's, that's my song. That's my jam, right? And you're like, oh, yeah, this is the song I could worship to. And then there are times where you, you, you hear a song, whether it's a hymn or it could be a modern song, and you're just like, oh, man, that song just doesn't do it for me. You know, or I hate that song, whatever it might be, right? But what if we understood that that song could be someone's jam, like it was their thing? Can we then be part of worship advocating and then singing that song because that song edifies uh, the other? Lastly, what does it mean for us to be unto God? Scott McKnight says that God's kind of love transforms us into loving and holy, God-glorifying, and other-oriented people in God's kingdom. It means that as we are with one another and for one another, we enter into a relationship that can be life-transforming as we seek God and his kingdom. When we are in a relationship that is with and for the other, and when that relationship is mutual that relationship inevitably will change us. I have a friend who I've known since middle school, and we've been in each other's lives from middle school, high school, university, getting married, having kids. But if you looked at the two of of us, no one would ever say that we are the same person. We're very different people. Our personalities are different. The taste of our, you know, some of our dishes are different. He made like raisins, and I hate raisins. (laughs) Yet, because we care for each other, we've been there with one another, we advocate for each other, and we want each other to grow in Christ. We've been friends for over 20 years. And he's been a very good friend to me. Like, he's the one that's been advocating for me my whole life. And throughout my life, I have been more impacted and shaped by the people around me than by books or ideas. We are not transformed by ideas or books. We are transformed by a person. We're not transformed by obeying the two great commandments, even though they are very helpful. We're transformed by being in a loving relationship with Jesus and with others. Now, one important part of loving one another and any, any long-term relationship, right, is the ability to fight well. I learned early in my marriage that we had to learn to fight well. In the early part of our marriage, we fought well, just we fought a lot, right? So we, there was a lot of fighting. And it took a long time, i say over five years, before we actually learned how to fight well. Where, we, where the fighting wouldn't just be fighting and, and, and wanting to win our fights. It was, and, and it was a way of fighting so that we could, de- we could actually compromise and work through our issues. And even if we disagreed on something, that that wouldn't divide us. And so this, I don't think, is something that's just for marriages, obviously, right? Whether it's your, with your close friends or those who are, you're trying to get to know better, how can we be in relationship with each other and disagree. Disagreement, and for you kids and and kids, youth that are here, fighting is not a bad thing. I know sometimes when your parents may fight that it may feel like it's so bad, and and, you know, that's when you're like on your best behavior, right? Like you're trying to be all nice and stuff, but, and we love that, we think it's cute, but 
Really, fighting is not a bad thing. Fighting is a great way for us to deepen our relationship, as long as you fight well, right? And it's not about just winning. So we, as a community of, of Christ here that says we want to be for, be with for, and, and unto God, we need to learn what it means to disagree well. That just because we disagree doesn't mean that we are not in relationship with one another. So how can we disagree and choose to be in relationship with that person and even disagree without coming to an agreement, but yet still be in relationship with each other? And now more than ever, we need to stand together for unity. Not because we all believe in the same thing, not because we all look the same, not because we all agree on the same political system, not because we all hate raisins, we need to stand together, united, because we all love God. In a world that is telling us to divide ourselves, we need to stay united. We need to believe that God is a God of unity and not disunity. And this is why Jesus prays that we may be one, just as God is one. And what if I said to you that what unites us is stronger than what divides us? Our differences in, in where we stand on certain divisive issues cannot and is not stronger than where we stand in our unity in Christ and on the doctrine of love. Why? Because it's not us that unites us to one another, but it's Christ. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, that Jesus is the one that is recon reconciling all things to himself. So do we want to join him in his reconciliation agenda, or do we want to be dissenters of what Jesus is doing in our world? And, and speaking about this unity and diversity, one thing I do want to point out, though, is that we're not saying that what we believe in doesn't matter. We, in fact, we as Spring Garden Church have agreed that we will believe and be united on a few things. So if you check our, our uh, statement of faith, the things that we say we want to agree and hold on to together, which helps, which we sign off as well when we become members, is the Apostles' Creed and our values. And we chose, I, I remember when we were uh, discerning this, one of the reasons why we chose the Apostles' Creed was because the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed have, are, have gone back from almost the beginning of the birth of the church. And that's the thing that most denominations agree on. And so we wanted to align ourselves with that, to say this is what we agree to be together, and also our values. Uh, I would encourage you to read them and, and to uh, reflect on them. I think they're, they're amazing, and they're things that we're trying to strive to be. And I know that they can also be summed up in loving God and loving others, but I would encourage you to check, check that out. One thing that I would also say, though, that if you don't jive with that, that's fine. And we're not saying we're better than other churches who have different values and, and, and uh, things that they want to hold on to. But this, we humbly say this is what we're trying to be as a community. So let's take a step towards love. And for some of us, it may mean getting more involved in this community, whether it's becoming a member or joining a life group or serving on a team, we need your presence. We want your presence. 
For some of us, it may mean stepping outside of our comfort zones and speaking with and getting to know someone that is different than you. Instead of shutting down or putting up barriers with those who are different, take the step of getting to know someone that is not like you. It may be awkward, uh, it may be challenging, it may be hard, but it will also stretch you, help you to grow, and it's a step towards love. I read an article this week uh, about a person named Puff Daddy. (laughs) He goes by many names, Puff Daddy, P. Diddy, um, Puffy. Anyways, he's he's a... a (laughs) You'll see where I'm getting at. Anyways, he, he's, a, he's a, uh, an artist, like a musical artist, uh, and more recently a fashion mogul, and he, he's, he's moved on to different things. He's like the Jay-Z, Jay-Z, he, I'm still dating myself. Who would be a new, he's like the Drake of your parents' uh, time, like 80s, 90s, okay? Anyways. So anyway, so I'm, I'm reading this article about uh, P. Diddy, and P. Diddy, anyways. So I'm reading this article about him, and it says that he's decided to change his name. So this article was in Vanity Fair. In 2017, he changed his name. His real name is Sean Combs. He's changed his name from Sean Combs to Love. He wanted to change his name to Love. And when I first read that headline and article, I was just like, I was rolling my eyes, right? I'm like, what does this guy think he's doing? I love, like, that's such so, like... I don't know. I, th- I thought it was stupid. And, I'm, 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 and I was very crit- critical. You know, oh, is he doing this just to make more money as a way to just get, get more fame? Uh, it's some kind of marketing campaign. And, and I wanted to put him on trial. You know, what do you love? What kind of name is that? Um, but then I started reading his, his interview in the Vanity Fair magazine. And he shared the story about how he felt that he was being called by God to this new chapter of his life. That he, was, he entered into some dark places. Uh, I think his wife passed away not too long ago, and that really took him on a, on a, um, a hard path. And through that, he, I think, reconnected with God. And he felt that God said to him that he, God chose him to be the one to spread love in the world. And I was like, come on, God chose you to spread love into the world? Come on, there's, there's so many better people that could spread love than P. Diddy, right? But I'm like, okay, whatever. And I kept on re- reading the article, and then I thought, you know what? Yeah, well, God choosing P. Diddy, it's not far off. Because actually, God has chosen all of us to spread love. We are to be the people of love. And he had this one line in the article that I, I, I couldn't help but agree with and where I felt like I really connected. And what he said was, when I'm at my best, then I'm love. And I'm like, yeah, that's true, right? When we're at our best, we are love. And that's what we want to be. And we can love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and we can love others because God already loves us. We don't love God so that God loves us. We don't love others so that God loves us. We love God and we love others because he already loves us. He first loved us. 
We who are called by God to love God with every part of our being and to love our neighbors as ourselves, we are at our best when we love. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that, that we are made in your image. And that image is of perfect love. And thank you. We thank you that you are a God who calls us to love you and love others because you already love us. And any time when we get stuck, when we want to be militant or be too um, stuck in a certain idea, I pray that you would remind us that, that you call us to love one another and to love you first, that those are the things that, that matter the most. And Father, I pray that all of us here would experience your love, to be reminded that you love us already, and that all you ask us is to respond back to you with love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.